UFC Sao Paulo goes down this weekend. I just wanted to give you guys a quick heads up regarding my Patreon page. Uh, www.patreon.com slash MMALOTN has a bunch of exclusive content on there for you guys, including a Hail Mary Patreon parlay, uh, extended breakdowns of prelim fights that I don't cover on the regular MMA Lockcast show, uh, and then ex- an exclusive uh, locked-in episode of every UFC pay-per-view page uh, that the public doesn't get to see. So make sure you guys check that out, support your boy, uh, and let's make the stream become a reality. Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMA LOTN. This week, we're going to be going over UFC Sao Paulo, which is headlined by a light heavyweight matchup between uh, Jan Blahovic and Jacare Souza, who's going to be making his 205 pound debut after uh, a letdown in his last fight against Jack Hermanson. Uh, very uh intriguing fight up top there uh, especially for Jan Blahovic who's trying to you know continue his win streak after uh turning back Luke Rockhold back in July as well uh and then in the Coleman event we have another 205 pound scra- uh 205 uh pound scrap between Maurizio Shogun Hua and Paul Craig stepping in on short notice to fill in for Sam Alvey um that should be an intriguing fight as well but obviously th- those don't have as much uh possible title ramifications as the main event does um as you guys can tell uh, once again, I'm not at Big Rob's place. Uh, we had a pretty shitty snowstorm up here in Toronto, uh, and it kind of kept me back. And obviously, I want to stick to a pretty firm schedule in terms in terms of getting my content out. Uh, but I should be back there for uh, UFC DC, which I believe is the next event, which goes down uh, December 7th, if I'm not mistaken. So we got a two-week break. Uh, so this is probably the last MMA Lawcast episode you guys will see until uh, UFC DC. I'll still be releasing uh, Combative Stores with Tony over the week. Weekend, uh, and then also deciding splits uh, we'll have on this Sunday if there's obviously a split decision this Sunday or something controversial. Otherwise, I have something special lined up for you guys over the next two weeks for deciding splits uh, to kind of fill the time uh, while uh, the next UFC event comes. So um, let's get into the recap of UFC Moscow, which went down this past weekend. <sighs> Fuck, dude. Like this, this one, this one really put me down in the dirts a bit. Um, to get under that negative um, mark overall, lifetime, kind of feels shitty, you know. Um, I went through a lot of shit in terms of, uh, just mentally in terms of getting back into the groove, uh, trying to figure out where I've gone wrong and and where this this last, the half, this half year, you know, the, the second half of this year has been pretty much a shit show. And uh, I'm trying to narrow down where I've kind of been going wrong. Um, and it seems to me, uh, that I believe that the volume of bets that I've been going for as law, as well as some of the long shot props that I'm going for is really affecting my, my overall results. You know, at the end of the day, all of these long shots that I miss on, uh, they continue to add up. Um, that's not saying that I'm going to get rid of the Hail Mary Patreon parlay. That's something new that I've added. And I know for sure, uh, you know, over a long period, you know, there will be more losses than wins on the Hail Mary parlay, but that's the reason for a Hail Mary parlay. Once it hits, uh, I believe it pays back uh, just as much over the long term. So that's not going to go around anywhere, but I think I'm going to be very strict in terms of uh, the amount that I'm going into these events with. Um, I think I'm going to go back to my, you know, what I've found success with a little bit earlier, uh, which was kind of just finding that lock of the night play you know, hammering that shit, uh, and then maybe just going with one dog play that I feel somewhat confident in. Uh, I've been, you know, caught up in trying to find the, the value in a lot of these lines. And, and, and I think that's kind of blinded me from, you know, going into, uh, going into these events, doing what I do best. And that's trying to find the best lock play. Um, and even that I feel like has gotten a little bit hazy, um, by whiffing on a couple, you know, the Gregor Gillespie one, that one I'll take on the chin, just, as he did, um, you know, uh, and then this image of one, that, that one, that one was a kind of a sloppy play. Like it, it felt more than 
more than justified in the moment when I pull the trigger on it, 3.5 units at minus 120, considering a guy that's as chinny as Danny Roberts. Uh, but I did take away a lot from his actual technical capabilities of how he's actually able to put his punches together, be very crisp, and throw a lot of power punches himself. I thought even with Imidi of style of being as as flashy and 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 out there as he is with the striking, I thought it was going to throw off Danny Roberts and uh, Zalim was going to be able to catch the chin just as Michelle Pereira did in the past. Uh, as well as Claudio Silva, maybe not finishing him, but catching him and then eventually submitting him. Uh, but uh, I took too much stock out of Danny Roberts' technical abilities and I paid for it dearly here. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's been it's been a tough little stretch, but I, I know I'm good at this shit. I know this is what I'm destined to do and I know that I can give you guys the best uh, betting advice out there uh, and I'm going to continue to fucking do it and, and hopefully cap the next four events off uh with a little bit of a winning streak, I know this this year alone as 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 a win is probably out the door unless I hit, you know, all four of my hail mary parlays in every bet. Period. Uh, I know that's highly unlikely, but I'm kind of accepting that this year is kind of a loss, uh, and 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 trying to look at it as a, a brand new slate already, and 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 just go back to what I fucking know, and you know give you guys those lock of the night fucking plays that you guys can bang on with all the money that you guys could potentially do obviously with money management in 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 mind um but uh yeah these max plays it's 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 got to be a fucking banger if i give it out to you guys so um I've dug pretty deep into this UFC Sao Paulo card so far. I have two potential lock of the night plays that I'm considering. I'm only going to go with one. Um but uh I won't be going over it in this specific episode. Uh, I will more than likely, it is a prelim fight. I'm not going to specify exactly which one when I go through my quick pick fights, uh, but I will for sure be posting a breakdown of it as a MMA Lawcast Plus episode, uh, which you guys are going to be able to find on the Patreon page. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of already went into my lock of the night play loss, which was minus 3.5 U on Imadiev to win inside the distance. Um, another loss was my dog of the night play, which was Calvin Qatar, uh, one unit at plus 240. That's minus one unit there. You know, kind of went in there with how I expected it to go, except that third round, I expected Calvin to push a little bit harder to possibly, you know, either get a 10-8 round or even get his finish there against the beat. Um you know, Zabit just held his distance well. He did eat some shots. Calvin Qatar obviously won that third round. Uh, but I don't know. I, I still feel like it probably wasn't the best move out there. Um, and also the other underdog I was considering was Greg Hardy, and I'm glad I, I skipped out on that one. Uh, and then uh, my other play was a 1.25 unit parlay on Urustam Habilov and um, Roosevelt Roberts. That was plus 163 for plus 2.04 units. Rusam Habilov was kind of my initial lock of the night play lean. Um, I'm not sure why I stuck away from it. Um, eventually, I ended up playing Imadiev inside the distance at 3.5 units. Um, and by that time, Habilov's numbers started to drop a little bit. In that parlay, I got him at minus 189. I probably would have locked in the night, played him there. And I'm kind of kicking myself for not doing that. Um, but, you know, I, I got to be very, very fucking... Uh, cautious about when I pull the trigger on these upcoming events and make sure that I'm 150% in before I do. I was 100% in on this Imadiev play, uh, and the only reason I staked only 3.5 units is because the odds are at minus 120. There's no point in going in the full five units in case it ended up shitting the bed, and there we go. It ended up shitting the bed, and I saved 1.5 units in terms of not going the full five. Uh, you know, Kabilov goes out there and does what he does, probably puts on the boringest fight of the night, uh, but still pulls out the decision victory which he so deserved and then the Roberts fight was a little bit more of a sweat but he still pulls out the victory so I'm happy with that at the end of it all uh including the minus 0.25 uh lock the night or not my Hail Mary parlay of the night uh which was uh whiffed by an Abreu horrible robbery decision uh but but then there was a little bit more of a stamp put on that loss uh with Emily of uh you know losing there as well so at the end of it all, minus 2.71 units on UFC Moscow. Very, very shitty. Um, but I'm I'm not done. You know what I mean? I, I know I'm 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 fucking I'm gonna kill this shit. So uh UFC Sao Paulo is up next. 
big card uh, in terms of at least the, the top fights. Um, but there are some quality fights scattered throughout it. You know, the return of Henan Barrow or the ghost of Henan Barrow, uh, Warley Alves against Randy Brown, Francisco Toronto versus Bobby Green is a great fight as well. Um, I was wondering why the hell they put Antonio Arroyo and Andre Munez on the, on the main card here. However, after looking into these guys a little bit more, I understand why. Uh, so I'm excited for that fight. That should be a great fight too. Um, Sergio Marais against James Cross, Shogun Hua against Paul Craig, Charles Oliveira against Jerry Gordon. That's, that's going to be a great fight. Um, you know, Charles Oliveira continues to go out there and fight unranked lightweights, but apparently guys just want, don't want to fight him. So I'm not too mad at that. Uh, but I, I love this card from top to bottom and I'm, I'm excited to break it down for you guys. Uh, but as you guys always know, I have been doing it for the past couple of episodes now. I'll be doing quick picks on the prelims with the exception of one that I'll get into. Uh, and then I do actual breakdowns of the prelims in their own individual videos on my patreon page so make sure you guys help support the uh support your boy www.patreon.com slash mmalotn uh and you guys get a little bit more extended coverage and breakdowns there as well as more exclusive content strictly for you guys because the ones that actually you know ride with me I'm, I'm gonna ride with you guys and make sure we make some fucking money all right let's start off at the bottom of the card with our quick picks i'm taking tracy cortez over vanessa mello uh, I'm taking Ariane Lipsky over Veronica Macedo. Um, taking Douglas DeAndrage over Henan Barrow. Taking Francisco Tronaldo over Bobby Green, even though that's a very, very close fight. I will definitely be passing that. Uh, Ricardo Hamos versus, uh, over Eduardo Garago. Uh, and Garagi, sorry. Damn, I keep fucking up his name. Eduardo, the guy from Uruguay. <laughs> uh, and then lastly, I'll be taking James Krause over Sergio Moraes. Uh, and then let's just get into the prelim fight that I want to go over, which is Warley Alves versus Randy Brown. I'm seeing a lot of love for this fight. Um, there's a lot of people with a lot of strong opinions and a lot of people putting money on either side. Uh, seeing a little bit more love for Randy Brown than I am for Warley Alves here, even though Warley Alves is still the slight favorite at minus 120. Randy Brown coming back at plus 100. Um, let's start off with Warley Alves. He's coming off a pretty impressive victory over Sergio Moraes. But if you look into that fight a little bit more, you'll see why he was so impressive. Uh, first and foremost, his leg kicks. The guy has a mean leg kick. Um, and the fact that it uh, Sergio Moraes' stance plays into that as well makes it a little bit easier for him to get away with it. Uh, so he was just hammering the leg kicks. Eventually, you know, by the end of the first round, Sergio was already hobbling around on that leg. Uh, but with Sergio's wide stance, it just makes it so much easier for Wally to to land those kicks. And he does a good job of hiding those kicks behind some punches. Uh, but I, I kind of seen Sergio Marais out there as a little bit of a punching bag. He's not the greatest on the feet. He throws a lot of winging hook shots. Uh, so it leaves a lot of opening f openings for guys who are, you know, much better at striking than him. Uh, and we saw it in the Anthony Rocco Martin fight, just as we saw it in the Swarley Alves fight. Sergio Marais just doesn't have the, the best, uh, the striking defense. Uh, his hands are coming together a little bit better, but Warley Alves, you know, it was no match for him. Uh, there's no way that Sergio Marais was even going to get this fight to the ground. So Warley Alves was kind of having a field day on the feet uh, and then he eventually found his uh, finish with a beautiful uppercut with the, within the last minute of the third round. Uh, in the fight before that, we saw where he is a little bit, um, where he finds problems uh, and that was against James Krause. James Krause came into this fight with a with a, with a a great game plan, which is stay in front of Warley Alves, continue to push him, don't let him get settled uh, and make sure that, that you stay in his face, keep the jab in his face uh, and that really gave Warley Alves problems. I think that's where Randy Brown's uh, you know advantages come into this fight. If he's able to stay persistent with sticking a jab in Wally Alves' face, throwing leg kicks out there, keeping Wally Alves moving backwards, I think he's going to give Wally Alves a lot of problems. Uh, Randy Brown, on the other hand, you know, he's coming off a great victory over Bar Brian Barbarino, which I think was a, a, a two-sided coin here, or, or just just two things in particular. It was the improvements of Randy Brown's. So let's not take that away from him. Showing great kicks, showing great movement, uh, you know, uh, great accuracy with his striking and aggressiveness as well. Uh, and then Brian Barbarena, it just seemed like he just wasn't in the fight. You know, I believe it was a fight that was taking place uh, where his where his kids were. Uh, so this was a fight that happened in South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, but uh, there was something about the commentary saying that his kids were out there. Uh, but also this was a fight where Brian Barbarena was coming off a slobber knocker against Vicente Luque in the last fight. Um you know, that could have an effect on a guy uh, going into that fight. I think I had a little bit of money on Brian Barbarino going into that. And I, 
you know, I, I didn't think it would have had an effect on him, but it seemed like there was an effect on him for sure. Uh, there were just mo- plenty of moments in that fight against Randy Brown where Barbarina just wasn't, you know, defending properly. He was, he looked flat footed. He just, he, he just wasn't in it. There were so many times where Randy Brown was going off on him and Ra- Brian Barbarina would just put his hands down and then quickly put them back up. Like, you don't think Randy Brown's going to continuously come after you and 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 put it on you just as he has for the whole fight. Uh, he eventually got the finish in that third round. Um, but it, it just wasn't a good showing. Um, the fight before that, Randy Brown had uh, Nico Price, and we all know how that one ended. Probably one of the craziest knockouts of 2018, uh, where he got finished, uh, you know, on top of uh, of Nico Price. I'm, I'm I'm a little bit torn here because there is the threat that Wally Alves could potentially try to out, uh, you know, outpower uh, Randy Brown here, try to get and force a clinch and try to get this fight to the ground. As we've seen Randy Brown being able to get takedown quite often, uh, being lanky, it kind of helps with his potential submission opportunities. Uh, but it also could be a negative as well, where you know where he's trying to lock up a. a a body triangle or something like that his legs just being so long allow guys to kind of just turn out of the position and then end up on top as we saw in the nico price fight um but in the warley with warley alves in mind uh, i think this is going to primarily remain a a stand-up fight i think we've seen some improvements in terms of randy brown's movement as well uh the way he you know his footwork and all that uh i think he could stick a jab out there in warley alves's face and keep it a long fight uh and that's where i believe he'll be most successful uh as well as some leg kicks he needs to throw some legs leg kicks out there to be a little bit more um you know to 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 force warley alves to stay on the outside and not close the distance uh and then whenever warley does try to crash forward you know stick a jab in his face stick some sort of straight punch in his face and keep him on the outside. Uh, so with this fight being as lined as close as it is, you kind of got to, you know, lean towards the, 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 the underdog here and take what you want from the Sergio Moraes fight for Wally Alves. But I, you know, once you, once you realize that Sergio Moraes wasn't really the best opposition there for him. And the fact that the line was as close as it was, uh, kind of shooting myself in the foot for not taking a shot on Wally Alves there, but, you know, Sergio Moraes just doesn't really do any favors for himself by having the type of striking style that he has and the type of striking defense that he has. So I, I put a slight asterisk on Warley Alves' Alves's performance against Sergio Moraes, which is why I give Randy Brown the advantage here. Uh, and at plus money and, and at even odds, I think Randy Brown is worth a decent shot here. Um, Personally, I'm not going to bet on him. It's still very close of a fight. And if Wally Alves does decide to engage in the clinch and try to overpower and and wear down Randy Brown, it could be some issues for Brown. But uh, I'm liking uh, the possible um, the the possible scenario here that Randy Brown is just going to outstrike Wally Alves for for three rounds, stay on his bicycle, avoid any big shots, uh, and then win the victory uh, that way. So I'm going to take Randy Brown by decision. Uh, very closely lined fight. I would. You know, I wouldn't be bad at anybody placing money on Randy Brown, uh, but me, myself, I'm probably going to pass, especially with the super strict type of uh, strategy I'm going to be using moving forward. So Randy Brown by decision. Next up, we got Marcus Perez versus Wellington Terman. I believe this is the fight kicking off the main card. Let's start off with Marcus Perez. He's coming off a victory over Anthony Hernandez last time around. The one thing that strikes me right off the bat with Marcus Perez is how heavy his leg kicks are. Uh, you know, against Andrew Sanchez, uh, heavy, heavy leg kicks. Even when he was hitting on the arm, you could see the bruising and, and redness on Andrew Sanchez's arm right off the bat. Um and no pun intended, because this guy fucking swings his legs like a bat. It's crazy. He throws so much power into them. Uh, and Anthony Hernandez fed it. Uh, you know, it seemed like Hernandez was going to slowly start to get the better of him. Uh, probably out out hustle him and kind of put that Cain Velasquez type style on him. Uh, but right off the bat in that in that second round, uh, Marcus Perez throws a beautiful body kick. Hurts Anthony Hernandez, who kind of crumbles. Uh, he follows up with some ground and pound and then eventually lands uh, an anaconda chokes and chokes out Anthony Hernandez. You know, that that just that is just an testament to how uh, heavy Marcus Perez's leg kicks are. The guy throws with a lot of fucking heat, and when he really wants to turn it on, like he does in the Andrew Sanchez fight, he's got to be wary of potentially getting taken down or getting engaged in clinches and then getting trips or anything like that, which is what Andrew Sanchez was able to do. Um, but I'm I'm not super 
like outside of that, I'm not super impressed with Marcus Perez. And the hard part for me in this fight is the fact that I can't get a good read on Wellington Terman either. I'm not totally sure what to expect with with the guy here. It's plus 100 to minus 120 for Marcus Perez as the very, very slight favorite. Um, and just as I said in the other, uh, in the breakdown for the Brown and um, Alves fight, I'm like, you want to lean a little bit towards the the underdog here, even if it's like plus 100 or so, but I'm not sure with Wellington, man. I, I've, I've looked into his Carl Roberson fight, his Marcio Alexandre fight. I, I just can't get a good read on him. You know, he, he lost a split decision to Carl Roberson in his last fight. Um, but in the Alexandre fight, you know, showed some good striking, eventually got the rear naked choke on Alexandre after hurting him. Um, in the Sergio de Fatima fight, uh, kind of pulled for a guillotine there, and then it got a, a victory via via submission. Um, decent striking, uh, still young, will be his second fight in the UFC. Um, he's going up against a guy who's going to have his, I believe it's uh, Marcus Perez's fourth fight in the UFC. Nope make that fifth fight in the UFC. He actually got into the UFC with an arm triangle victory over Ian Heinrich, who kind of has a decent uh, resume on the UFC scene besides his last loss to um, Uriah Hall, I want to say. No, can't remember who Ian Heinrich lost to in his last fight. Let me let me confirm that because I need to do that strictly for my sanity because I'm pretty sure, yeah, Derek Brunson lost Derek Brunson. Uh, but yeah, Marcus Perez, I, I just don't have the best feel on this fight or the best... Um, uh, view on this fight just because I, I I can't I don't really know what to expect from Wellington Terman and then Marcus Perez is a little bit you know he's he's gotten a couple of submission victories but in his UFC career he seems a little bit one-dimensional uh, so it makes it a little bit more difficult um, to to know what kind of uh, guy we're going to get why is it sh- this is weird as hell <laughs> uh, yeah anyway uh, I'll take Marcus Perez by decision, but I, I just don't have the best feel or look on this fight, and I personally would pass on it. Uh, but if you guys feel like you have a good feel on it, fucking go for it. Uh, next up, we have Antonio Oroy Ahoyo. Don't forget, he's Brazilian, so those R's are haz. <laughs> uh, Antonio Ahoyo versus Andre Muniz. Uh both guys that were on the ultimate, or sorry, on the Brazilian contender series, and then also got another fight on this year's, uh, this past year's contender series, and they both came out pretty much the same. Like they, they both went to a decision in their Brazil uh, contender series fights, and then they come out and get uh, some or finishes in their um, in their uh, regular contender series fights. Let's start off with Antonio Ahoyo. I was very impressed with this guy's length. Uh, this guy is one of the bigger middleweights that you guys will actually see. Uh, he's b- pretty freaking jack. I like to call him a poor man's Paulo Costa, to be honest. Uh, he's 6'2 with a 73 and a half inch reach, whereas Andre Munez is going to be 6'2 with a 78 inch reach. Honestly, it, it does not seem like that. It seems like these guys are actually going to be a little bit more, a little bit closer when it comes to. Um, um, or won't be as close when it comes to actually matching up with each other uh, metric-wise, if you guys want to call it that. I think Arroyo is going to have, or Hoyo is going to have the strength advantage here. Uh, I think he's obviously going to have the striking advantage here as well. Just like Marcus Perez, this guy throws a mean leg kick. I think that's going to be pertinent for for him in this fight against Andre Munez, where I think that he's going to have to really take out Munez's front wheel to kind of uh, negate any any type of uh, possible takedown attempts as Munez is going to want to implement his Brazilian jiu-jitsu, whereas I think that Ahoyo is going to want to try to keep this on the feet and try to knock him out. He's had a lot of great victories just off of you know striking. He has a 19-second knockout against Trevor Carlson. Um, beautiful, beautiful kick. A kick to the body finish against Antonio Suarez. Um, Again, the the guy has heat in his legs, uh, and I think that's going to be very very important for him to implement in this fight. Um, with Andre Munez, um, we've seen him multiple times. You know, go for takedowns a little bit too hard, and then end up as the guy on bottom, even if it's in like full mount or something like that. Uh, I don't know if a, a Hoyo is going to want to really mess around there. Um, 
as soon as uh, it wouldn't be surprising to me either if Munez is the one that's actually moving forward here he's going to want to get a Hoyo against the cage and try to drag this fight to the ground so Hoyo is going to have to keep his distance he's going to have to keep his length he's going to have to go the Randy Brown approach here and he's going to have to stick his jab out there he's going to have to stick nice straights out there some front kicks some teeps I think it's going to be very very important for him to keep this fight on the feet because Munez has just seemed like an absolute killer once it comes to the to the ground game uh, he is 18 and four, but he's shown, um, you know, weaknesses when it comes to the striking game itself. Bruno Assis has a little bit of, a, uh, you know, success there. Um, and then Taylor Johnson, obviously just wanted to get this fight straight to the ground and then he paid for it. Uh, you know, getting subbed by such a highly touted Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt as Andre Munez Sergipino. I think that's his name <laughs> or his nickname, but, um, yeah, like I said at the top of the show, I was very surprised that these guys were actually put on the main card over some of the great fights that are on the prelims. Uh, but actually watching these guys, these guys are very, very fun to watch. Um, I don't think that this fight will go to a decision, which is kind of where I would be leaning towards. Because uh, the last time I believe I looked at the fight doesn't go to decision, it was uh, closer to even. Let's see where it's at now. Yeah, it's still minus 120. So I think rather than trying to pick a side here, I think that you're going to want to try to pick for somebody who's going to get the finish. Um you know, minus 115 Munez, minus 105 Ahoyo, um, and minus 120 for the fight doesn't go to decision. I'm pretty certain that they're going to line this uh, or put the total at over under two and a half as well. So if you guys really want to wait it out, wait it out for the two and a half to come out. But I definitely like the fight doesn't go to decision here. I'm going to take Antonio Ahoyo by, by th- probably second round finish, actually. Um, I think that Munez is going to continue to overextend himself to try to get this fight to the ground. Ohio is going to have a good job of keeping this fight on his feet. Uh, he's going to defend a couple of takedowns against the cage, uh, you know, dig for underhooks, use his strength, uh, you know, push Munez off of him, start to implement those leg kicks, and then eventually, you know, wear him down in the second round and then really put it on him and, and finish him off. Uh, I wouldn't even be surprised if at some point in the second round this fight gets to the ground with Ohio on top and Ohio just landing like just beautiful shots from on top uh, from, a, you know, somewhat of a gassed-ish Munez who's going to be, you know, really trying to get this fight to the ground. Um, we've seen in a lot of fights in the past, just like Darren Wynn is one that really comes to mind, is is guys that really try to force fights to the ground. Uh, sometimes they gas themselves out more than the guy who's trying not to get taken down. And there's obviously cases where it's the opposite, but I think that we could see that here with Munez trying to, you know, overexert himself and and extend himself a little bit too much to get this fight to the ground, which is why I like the fight doesn't go to decision. Because even if this fight does get to the ground and Munez somehow pulls off some sort of submission on Ohio, um, I think that uh, you, you still you start you're still covered. You're still good. <laughs> so I like the minus one twenty on the fight doesn't go to decision, uh, but I will take Ohio by second round finish via strikes, um, and that's my pick. <clears throat> All right, next up, we got Charles Oliveira versus Jared Gordon. Uh, Leave the rankings to the side. I'm very excited for this fight. I think it's a fun fight. Both guys offer a very fun... aggressive style which which should uh you know result in just as fun of a fight as just as their styles uh predict uh let's start off with jared gordon he was coming off of two straight losses to diego fajera and joaquim silva and then he beat dan moret last time around let's start off with that dan moret fight um you know most of the fight was taking place with jared gordon kind of uh grinding on moret uh, you know, landing consistent shots. That's the good thing about Jared Gordon. He has tons and tons and tons of cardio, uh, but there is a little bit of a downside to that. Some of his striking in the second and third round starts to become very robotic. Uh, you know, he's only moving his arms and it's not much heat really behind it, um, but he's really trying to like close distances clinch with you, grind on you, uh, maybe even get you to the ground and just pound you out, not really looking for a submission or, you know, uh, any type of choke or anything like that, but more so just trying to pound you uh, and maintain his position, whether it's half guard or, it, you know, have you up against the cage and and keeping you down, but continuously punching you in the face with his other hand. Um, but one thing that I found in the Dan Moret fight is he kind of leaves himself open for a little bit of submissions. Uh, there were numerous times where Dan Moret, you know, was able to uh, posture for a, for a, uh, for an armbar or a triangle or even got his back. Uh, thankfully for Jared Gordon, his gas tank allowed him to stay in it and he he got out of those. But I think if you get a guy like Charles Oliveira threatening those submissions, I think he, they're going to be a little bit more successful with it. Um, the line is 
quite wide. Minus 355, Charles Oliveira, plus 295 for Jaron Gordon. My opinion, a little bit too wide. Now, just hear me out. I think Charles Oliveira is going to win. However, I think that Jared Gordon, if he continuously stays out of those bad positions uh, and and keeps the fight going and, and keeps pushing the pace on Charles Oliveira, we've seen Charles fade and break in the past. He's on a great win streak right now, which spans many fights. I think it's over. Yeah, it's a five-fight win streak. His last loss was a ground-and-pound finish via Paul Felder way back in December of 2017. So he's reaching close to two years undefeated. But in that streak, he's finished Clay Guida, uh, Christos Giagos, Jim Miller, David Tamer, and Nick Lentz. Uh, great finishes, great wins. You know, the most impressive, in my opinion, in that stretch is David Tamer. Uh, and not just the way he did, like... Not just the fact that he won, but the way he did it. He, his striking looked a lot better. You know, he's mainly known as a jiu-jitsu guy, but in his past several fights, he's really, really put together his his hands. Uh, he hurt David Tamer with a beautiful elbow, a beautiful step-in elbow, and then eventually, you know, um, went for went for the choke and got the finish there. I think he holds a record for most submission, most submission wins in UFC history at 13. He could have got another submission victory against Nick Lentz in his fight after that and made it 14 however he decided to after dropping nick lentz he decided to just go with the ground and pound and just get the finish that way probably could have hooked up a choke somehow uh but he's like fuck it let's get a get a ko win if i'm not mistaken that was actually his first ko win since 2010 uh which just shows you how often he's really fishing for submissions this guy does not like to go to decisions uh jared gordon has seen his handful or his, his a handful of decisions in his career uh but i think this is another fight that has the high likelihood of not going this, the, the distance. I think if this fight goes into the third round, it's going to be a little bit tricky for Charles Oliveira. That's where I think that Jared Gordon's cardio is going to come into play. However, he needs to make sure that he's very tight and crisp with his striking and his forward movement when he's actually moving forward. Otherwise, Charles Oliveira is going to take advantage of that. Um, you know, Jared Gordon doesn't throw the most into his punches in that the, in those third rounds. Uh, however, he's still able to outpace, outgrind, and outwork these guys. I think Charles Oliveira won't be an exception to that rule, uh, so he's going to have to finish this within a round and a half if I believe he's going to have success. Um, I, I think he's capable of that. I think he's going to, uh, he might be pressured initially. I think Jared Gordon's going to try to take the front foot and, and really push it on Charles Oliveira here. But I think that with the impressive improvements that we've seen from Charles Oliveira with the striking, I think it's going to get Jared Gordon eventually start to go on his back feet or, or on his back foot for that, that remaining, you know, for the remainder of the first round and probably the majority of the second round. Uh, but I think in that instance, we'll find Charles Oliveira somehow lock up a submission on Jared Gordon. You know, Jared Gordon can't get too comfortable trying to clinch or outgrind Charles Oliveira with grappling because I think Oliveira will have the better um, wherewithal to to find the positions to to turn and get uh, Jared Gordon's back uh, or even throw up any type of submission because I think just like his striking in the third round, his grappling is kind of the same too where he's able to get to these positions and outwork and outhustle these guys and it's just completely overwhelming these guys. But his technique kind of uh, suffers uh, with that trade-off. Um, he's going to have to really, really mind his P's and Q's if he gets Charles Oliveira on the ground. Um, minus 355, like I said, in my opinion, is way too wide of a line. Um, I wouldn't feel comfortable betting Charles Oliveira straight, especially at that line. Uh, maybe as a parlay, but I'm not 100% sure. Uh, personally, I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I don't even know if I'm going to put in my Hail Mary parlay. I'm going to have to check it out first. Um but I really, really like uh, Charles Oliveira here to get the victory in the first round uh, via, you know, punches uh, followed up by a submission. Uh, but if it gets past the round and a half mark, I think it's going to get very tricky for for Charles Oliveira to find the finish because I think that Jared Gordon will probably have more in the gas tank. Um, I do want to touch on Jared Gordon's um, uh, fight with Joaquim Silva. That was a fight, like I said, where his cardio may have been a little bit better than Joaquim Silva's, but the, his his lack of technique and, and the trade-off of cardio for technique in terms of continuing to push the pace, it showed there. Like He, he left himself defensively wide open for Joaquim Silva to land a beautiful shot. He followed up and then eventually finished him against the cage. Not not what you want to see. Diego Fajera, probably the, the better technical striker at that point, finished him within two minutes. 
Uh, I'm not saying Charles Oliveira is the the craziest, the best striker out there right now, but with the amount of improvements that we've seen, I think he could have some success uh, in hurting and rocking Jared Gordon and then eventually clamping on a choke. And that's the the way and path to victory, I believe, that we're going to see for Charles Oliveira. And I think if you are going to bet Charles Oliveira, uh, I, I don't know why this didn't come to me at the beginning of this breakdown, but betting him inside the distance is probably the way to go. Minus 180 is a crazy line considering you're betting somebody to win inside the distance and the fight doesn't go to decision is minus 270. So take what you want with the fact that Charles Oliveira has not seen a decision since Ultimate Fighter 20 finale against Jeremy Stevens. Uh, way back in 2000, December of 2014. That was over five years ago since this guy's gone to a judge's scorecard. Otherwise, he's finished in round three, round one, round one, round three, round two, round one, round two, round one, round two, round one, round two, round two. This guy just doesn't like the judge's scorecards. And can you blame him considering how bad some of them have been? Uh, and it, just to add to that, he did end up winning that decision against Jeremy Stevens. Uh, and even before that, let's just see. Yeah, his last decision before that was the beating that he took to Frankie Edgar back in 2013, July. Uh, but yeah, I got Charles Oliveira to win by first round submission, but that line is just way too wide for me to justify playing that. Maybe in my Hail Mary Parley. Maybe. Not 100% sure. All right, let's move on to the co-main event of the night, which is Maurizio Shogun Hu against Paul Craig. If you guys have been following me for a while now, you guys know that. I am probably the biggest Shogun fan out there. Uh, when I first got into MMA, he was one of the first guys that were, I would watch back in Pride, uh, and I've 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 loved watching him fight. He he brings a fun, exciting style. Um, you know, one of the better fighters out there. But once his chin started to decline, it's been harder and harder for me to watch him fight. So when I heard that he was supposed to be fighting Sam Alvey uh, in November of 2019, I'm like, ooh. You know, maybe 2014, 2015 Shogun would have some success here, but I don't know about 2019 Shogun against a one-dimensional fighter like Sam Alvey. Eventually, Sam Alvey pulls out. In comes Paul Craig, which is still a little bit of a tricky fight for Shogun Hua here. Um, the line, first let me get that, minus 270 for Shogun, plus 230 for Paul Craig. Very wide line, in my opinion. Um Shogun hasn't fought since he beat Tyson Pedro in December of last year. Uh, and that was a weird fight. You know, Tyson Pedro had a lot of success in that first round where he heard Shogun on numerous occasions, just couldn't get him out of there. And then in the second round, uh, he got controlled by Shogun Hua, who doesn't normally control his opponents on the ground like that. Um, so that that's what makes it a little bit tricky for me to, to understand why Shogun Hua is such a huge favorite here. Obviously, in the fight before that, we know he got dusted by Anthony Smith, but um, you know, I don't see him being able to control a guy like Paul Craig on the ground like he controlled Tyson Pedro. Um, you know, Paul Craig's going to be flipping a lot more for, uh, you know, sweeps and reverses and looking for submissions, whereas Tyson Pedro just seemed like he had no idea what the fuck to do on the ground. Yeah, he had a little bit of a possible Kimura going, but he, he's not going to be able to pull that off on a guy like Shogun. But uh, I think Shogun's only getting slower. He's only, you know, continuing to decline. He's 37 now. Um, you know, doesn't fight all that often. Uh, he's had two fights since pretty much the beginning of uh, the beginning of 2017. So over th closing in on three years now, where he's only fought twice. This is going to be his third fight. Uh, you know, good striker, a little bit slower now too. Um, we obviously know that Paul Craig isn't fucking a wizard on the feet. Um, uh, he he managed to crack Vinicius Mojera last time around and had some good grappling exchanges on the ground before cracking Mojera and then finishing him with a rear naked choke. But we all knew he was going to lose to Alonso Minifield. That's the type of striker that Paul Craig is for sure going to lose to. Is a guy that throws with absolute heat uh, and some technique, you know, not throwing any shade at Kennedy and Zuchuku or anything, but, you know, he's going to... He's going to fall, falter on the guys who throw with uh, as much veracity as a guy like Alonzo Menafield. But Shogun, you know, he he's more of a an overwhelming striker at this point. I don't think he really has that one-shot knockout power anymore. Uh, and he hasn't really one-shot knocked out anybody in, in quite some time. Uh, the Tyson-Pedro one was a combination of overwhelming plus Pedro falling to the ground with an apparent knee injury, I believe. Um, you know, Gian Vellante is fucking the worst fighter on the roster. I'm not sure why he's still on there. But in terms of punches, James Tahuna, probably the last guy that he's finished that you could be like, okay, he legit like knocked him out. And that was December of 2013. We're talking about six years ago. 
I don't know why anybody would feel comfortable playing Shogun Hua above minus 200 in this spot, even above minus 170. Like, again, I am a huge Shogun fan, but this is, on the feet, it's obviously all him. But all Paul Craig needs to do is just fucking bite down on his mouthpiece and just swing. You're going to land on Shogun. You're probably going to hurt him in the process. Then it's going to be easier to take him down, and it's going to be even easier to sub him in that situation. Um, even with Shogun, you know, not rocked or anything like that, I think uh, uh, Paul Craig could have some success trying to get Shogun down. Shogun hasn't had the craziest or the best takedown defense, uh, and I think it's only going to get worse. Uh, Paul Craig's going to be the younger guy here, maybe have a slight strength advantage, uh, 31 years old, six six foot four with a 76-inch reach, whereas Shogun Hua is six one with a 76-inch reach. So having the slight size advantage here too, uh, could land some good knees just like he did against Vinicius Mohea. I'm not saying he's going to go out there and have like a, a Muay Thai clinic against a guy like Maurizio Shogun Hua, but I think that he could crack Shogun, uh, hurt Shogun, uh, and then follow up with a little bit of uh, jiu-jitsu work and find a choke. Um, I think there is a ton of value on Paul Craig here. Anything above the plus 200 range, I think it's worth a little bit of a shot, and I think he's actually going to be my dog of the night play. It, it really, really hurts me that I, I'm going to have to bet against my guy Shogun here, but I, I see no reason not to. Like uh, I can currently get plus 221 on uh, on Pinnacle. He's at plus 236 on Sportbet. I might just take the shot on him there. Um but yeah, no more than one unit. I think he's he's definitely worth a shot here. Uh, and and Shogun just, I, I feel bad for the guy. He's not going to get back up there. Uh, let's just quickly dissect his wins uh, that he had. He had a three fight winning streak before he ran into Anthony Anthony Smith. But he beat Antonio Hojero Noguera, not the greatest fighter. Corey Smith split decision victory in a fight where he was pretty much being dominated for like four minutes and four and a half minutes of every single round and then he eventually finds Corey Anderson's chin rocks him and then eventually squeaks out on each or on two of the three judges scorecards to get that victory uh, and the Gian Vellante fight you guys know I don't rate Gian Vellante the guy is dog shit he's probably one of the worst fighters on the, on the roster so uh, three fights three wins right there um, and then obviously Anthony Smith comes there and just absolutely murks him. Uh, Tyson Pedro, not the best fight IQ. And I even bet Shogun in that spot too. I think I got Shogun around the plus 300 range. That was a no brainer for me strictly due to Tyson Pedro's lack of fight IQ. Um, so here it's going to have to be Paul Craig, uh, you know, spamming takedowns, which I think he'll eventually get one. And I think his jujitsu at this point in time is going to be a little bit too good for Shogun Hua, uh, and he'll be able to find the submission. So I like Paul Craig probably by second round finish. Um, I think he's going to have to really work for take round downs in that first round. But I think come second round, it'll be a little bit easier for him to get the fight to the ground. And then we'll see him pull off a submission there. But uh, I, I love him at that plus 230-ish range. I think I'm going to pull the trigger actually after I, I, I finish up this podcast so my pick is going to be paul craig's second round submission uh and that comes with a heavy heart from a from a true shogun hua fan <laughs> all right let's move on to the main event jan blahovich versus jacare souza this is a uh, an intriguing fight i'm surprised that jan blahovich is taking this route of being the the middleweight killer if you want to call it um you know these guys coming up from middleweight uh and 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 trying to establish themselves as a top flight light heavyweight the only person that was really successful in that with him is uh tiago santos who went on to get a title shot eventually um but even that fight he made a very simple mistake uh which cost him the entire fight um Let's just get into that. You know, in that Tiago Santos fight, it was a pretty close fight. Uh, Jan Blachowicz isn't the most volume striker on the feet. He has good jiu-jitsu, uh, which allows him to, to, to you know, submit guys like Nikita Krylov and Devin Clark. Um, and I think that his jiu-jitsu will fare him well in this fight against Jacare Souza, but he doesn't need to get overconfident with it. Um, yeah, in, in the Tiago Santos fight, like I was saying, he literally just switched to southpaw, crashed forward, and Tiago Santos ca caught him with the left hook. It was more so the fact that Tiago Santos recognized the fact that he was going into his secondary stance and his secondary position, uh, and Tiago Santos kind of just winged the shot, uh, and it landed perfectly. Anybody who's ever boxed or done any type of uh, striking uh, martial art should know that you know your your defense takes a huge hit when you go into your secondary stance. So I think Jan was trying to go into the secondary stance to throw off Tiago Santos, especially with him crashing forward with the combination. But Tiago Santos is a weathered striker and he's probably seen this uh, you know, situation on numerous occasions. And all he had to do was just throw a power left hook, landed perfectly on Jan Blahovic's chin, and he gets the victory uh, via stoppage there uh, in the third round. 
you know, very, very close fight leading up to that. And that's the thing about Jan Blachowicz. He's not, it's, it's tough for him to, uh, like, it's tough to be confident in a guy like that who doesn't seem to be the most volume striker or most um, pushing of his, of, of his type of style. Uh, and even in the Luke Rockhold fight, apologies, I got some gassiness or something coming up, <laughs> but uh, uh, even in the Luke Rockhold fight, you know, he was getting pushed up against the cage for pretty much the entirety of that first round, and then eventually when he was able to to get himself out, uh, he was able to take advantage of Luke Rockhold's cocky-ish style on the feet, um, and, and land some good shots, hurt Luke Rockhold, especially at the bell there too, so Luke Rockhold was kind of coming in, compromised into that second round, uh, and then in the second round, we see... Uh, you know, Jan Blachowicz land a beautiful left hook on one of the exits of their clinches. Uh, it drops Luke Rockhold uh, and then ends up with some ground and pound. Uh, a beautiful combination to get the finish against Luke Rockhold there. But, like, it just did not seem Luke, like Luke Rockhold was all there. And 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 it was pretty evident in that fight. Uh, so, big win for Jan Blachowicz there. I think he has a little bit of a tougher test this time around against Chakra Souza. Coming in against Luke Rockhold, he was a pretty decent underdog. I think he was... Uh, plus 195 going into a Luke Rockhold fight, and now he's like a minus 200 favorite, minus 190 favorite against Chakra Souza. Um, different question, or different type of uh, uh, style that's gonna, that he's going to be challenged with here. Uh, I, I like his his strikes, but again, his his lack of volume really concerns me. Um, I think his jiu-jitsu is good enough to hold up against a guy like Chakra Souza. Uh, and I think that just his tightness and, and, and crispness of his strikes... Uh, give him advantage. Give him a bit of a, an advantage on the feet against Jacare. Um, speaking of Jacare, you know, coming off that loss to from uh, Jack Hermanson, uh, you know, had a lot of steam going into that fight. Uh, was coming off a big win over Chris Waterman in the fight before that. Uh, you know, arguably could have gotten that split decision over Kelvin Gastelum the fight before the Weidman fight. Uh, and then in the Jack Hermanson fight, you know, he was originally scheduled to fight Yoel Romero. Uh, Romero pulls out. In comes Jack Hermanson and probably worst case scenario from Jacare, you know, lose-lose situation. You come in against a guy that's relatively unknown, uh, you get a loss, and then Jack Manson's kind of skyrocketed a little bit, uh, even though he got, you know, he kind of got screwed over uh, by Jared Cannonier finishing him in uh, his home, or one of his home countries, I guess you would call it, Denmark, uh, Scandinavian country, that region, that's where Jack Manson's from, right? Uh, but, um, you know, I, I don't think that we're going to see uh, Jan Blachowicz coming here with a Jack Manson type style. I don't think he's going to be able to, you know, stick a jab in front of Jack Ray's face for five rounds and and out grapple him and outpower him. Uh, I think Jack Manson is just a better better wrestler, and I don't know if Jan Blachowicz will have that type of success. Um, I I still don't completely understand Jack Ray's striking in terms of this guy throws everything into his fucking strikes, and you know the one thing I'll give him, his left hook to the body is probably one of the craziest things I've seen out there, and especially with the veracity he throws into it. He landed a lot heavily on, on Kelvin Gaslam. The work that he did to Chris Weidman's body as well, ridiculous. I think that all accumulated to him eventually getting that finish uh, of Chris Weidman, uh, and then even with Jack Hermanson. He landed some decent ones. Jack Hermanson did a little bit better of a job than his past opponents in terms of keeping the distance and and trying to nullify that, that body strike as much as possible. That's something that Blahovich is going to have to be wary of here. Um, Jacare is kind of predictable with his strikes as well. Uh, he needs to be uh, hide them a little bit better. Maybe uh, really um, get some takedowns going behind it. I wouldn't be surprised to see him be successful with takedowns here against Jan Blahovich. Uh, a lot of people are putting stock into the fact that you know Jacare is going to be at a major size disadvantage here. Uh, I'm not 100% sure about that. You know, 6'1", 72-inch reach for Jacare, 6'2", 78-inch reach for Jan Blahovich. Um, but going five rounds, um, it, it always seems like Jacare Souza is having issues with cardio because he always looks like he's off in a buffin, but he still throws heat uh, whenever he throws his strikes, whether it's kicks, body punches or even head strikes he has a lot of power in his hands regardless whether first round or fifth round uh, but he does his best work when, once he gets this fight to the ground I think he's going to know that's the way he really needs to approach this fight is a grapple heavy fight um, if he's able to get Jan down he should be able to control it he should be able to get some good positions land some great shots um, but it, it's it, we, we don't know this 36 year old uh, Jacare Souza who's had a little bit of a rough stretch um, 
it, it's gonna be. Oh wait, sorry, that was actually Jan. Jack Ray's thirty nine. Let me let me fix that. <laughs> he's had a little bit of a rough stretch. He's thirty nine. Uh, he's been training at X Gym for his last couple of fights, and it seems decent. You know, his hands are coming together a little bit better, even though he throws a fucking everything into them. Um, but the the body shot has definitely opened up some paths for him, uh, and I think that should be a major key for him in this fight against Jan, who himself doesn't throw as much volume, uh, which is where I think Jack Ray could slowly steal this fight. But um, I, I just don't know what to expect from a guy coming up a weight class, 39 years old, um, probably against a stronger guy in Jan Blahovic. But I, I, I'm kind of torn on this fight. Um, the value is obvious on Jock right here, you know, being the plus 165, plus 170 dog. Uh, but the line is slowly starting to close. So maybe if Jan Blahovic reaches the minus 150, minus 140 range, he'd probably be a, a little bit better of a bet. Um, but at this point in time, I think Jock Ray probably holds his value up to about plus 160. So if you can see that line for Jock Ray, I wouldn't be mad if you guys take the shot. Personally, I don't feel confident enough in, in him to take the shot, nor do I feel confident enough in Jan Blahovic to win this fight either. Um, and I, I really don't know which way to go here. I'm, uh, I'm completely torn. Um, you know, I think Jan's getting a lot of rub from his fight against Luke Rockhold, uh, which I believe just as Warley Alves should have an asterisk beside his fight against Sergio Marais, Jan Blahovic should possibly have an asterisk beside his fight against Luke Rockhold. Um, and that's coming from a guy that, you know, went balls deep on Luke Rockhold in that fight, but uh, he just didn't seem like he wanted to be in there uh, once that once that bell rang. And uh, I think Blahovic really took advantage of that and then eventually found his chin and got the finish there. Um so Jokri is going to have to come in super motivated. Uh, he his his path to victory here would be to try to push the takedown, try to get this fight to the ground, uh, maybe even throw a little bit more volume than Jan, which again I think is uh, something that we've seen Jan lack in the past. Uh, so super close fight. Don't see a reason to really bet Jan here, uh, nor do I feel a reason to bet Jokri either. Um, so uh, fuck. I'm I'm gonna go with Jacare here. I think he pulls off the submission maybe in the second or third round, uh, probably third round uh, after maybe you know really pushing the pace as he seems to do in most of his fights in the third round. He he gets that second win once that third round comes around and he really puts it on people. And I think he could do the same thing to to, to Blahovic here as long as Blahovic doesn't pull some sort of like southpaw change, crash forward and get <laughs> and get clipped by some sort of hook. Um, uh, I think Blahovic should be okay, but. If you guys are forcing me to make a pick here, I'm going to take Blahovich by, or sorry, I'm going to take Jacare by third round submission, but it's just not something I'm completely, you know, confident in. Uh, so yeah, that that's that's UFC Sao Paulo. Holy shit. You know, decent fights. Um, I feel like I got a good uh, read on a couple of these fights. Um, the only real bet that I'm kind of giving out to you guys on my MMA Lawcast is uh, Paul Craig. Uh, even straight, straight's a great bet. Um, and he's roughly around the plus 230 range. I think he holds value at the underdog, at that underdog price. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's UFC Sao Paulo. If you guys want to get uh, my UFC, or sorry, my MMA Lawcast Plus episodes, which I'll probably be dropping on at least two or three prelim fights over the next couple of days, that's going to be on the Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash MMALOTN. Um, and then I also dropped... Uh, locked in, which is going to be going over Douglas DeAndraj versus Henry Burrow. So if you guys haven't checked that out yet, that's on my YouTube page right now as well. So go check that shit out. Um, yeah, that that that's pretty much it. Check me out at MMALOTN on Twitter. Uh, website is www.mmalotn.ca. Um, and then Patreon, patreon.com slash MMALOTN. I won't see you guys until UFC DC at least for the MMA lockcast. Again, Combatistores will be out as normal. Deciding Splits will be out as normal. Um, but the MMA lockcast is going on roughly a two-week vacation just for, um, uh, at least for this UFC lull that we get after this Sao Paulo card. So uh, thanks for the support as always. Thanks for the guys sticking around during this rough stretch that I've been on. Um, we are going to fucking bounce back. We're going to kill the shit. Um, and we are going to cast these slips. I promise you guys that. Uh, yeah, thanks as always. Subscribe as well. Hit the like button below. Talk shit in the comments if you guys want. I'm always engaging with y'all. Um, and I'll see you guys next time. Peace.